We are back with Dr. Ben Carson on stand. He is a trailblazer in medicine. He was a trailblazer in government. He's now a trailblazer in education. And uh, so we'd like to take some time in this segment and talk about the next generation. Uh, Dr. Carson, you were talking a little bit at a little bit about it in our previous segment when you're talking about the little patriots but uh next generation is our future I'd like to start out with this question get your to get your observations about how marxists are trying to indoctrinate children and youth across america in the last segment you talked about how aci is the inoculation against uh indoctrination but could you share with us what your observations are about how Marxism is being used to indoctrinate our kids, and uh, what does it look like? How are they doing it? Well, you know, they have a long-term plan. Uh, they're not just reactionary like we tend to be in this country. And uh, some people think that uh, this has been of recent origin, their attempt to indoctrinate our kids. It's been going on for a long time. And if you look at the congressional record, from January the 10th, 1963, Representative Herlong from Florida read into the congressional record the 45 goals of the Communist Party, uh, one of which was the gain control of the schools wow. so that the children could be indoctrinated. And uh, that's exactly what's going on. They recognize what the Bible says, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it, Proverbs 22, 6. And they've known that for a long time. Uh, Lenin, Vladimir Lenin said, give me your children to teach for four years, and the seed that I sow will never be uprooted. So they understand the importance of that early teaching, that early indoctrination, and we've seen the results of it already in this country. Uh, in the summer of 2020, we saw so many of those young people in Seattle and Portland and places just tearing everything up and rioting and calling for abolishment of the police. Uh, that didn't come about organically. That was indoctrination as it matures. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have to be every bit as aggressive as they are in terms of making sure that our children have the real foundation. And also, your history is the basis of your identity. And your identity is the basis of your beliefs. And that's why it's so important that we don't let that chain be interrupted. History, identity, and beliefs. Mm -hmm. You know, that reminds me, you know, that in my mind, the distinction between education and indoctrination is mm -hmm. indoctrination tells you what you must believe education tells you how to think you know one tells you what you must think the other teaches you how to think for yourself mm -hmm. and that's what aci is is doing i mean the work you're doing is so important particularly because i'm reminded of what president lincoln um, said about education he said that the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next and so if we don't want to see a Marxist leaning or a Marxist full on government in the next 20 or 30 years, we can't allow our children to be fooled into believing that Marxism is 
the answer to society's woes. So question for you, as you as you travel the country, are you seeing any kind of bipartisan awakening and activism by parents to push back on this? Because it seems to me that this should be something that people on the left and the right, you know, the left wing of the bald eagle and the right wing of the bald eagle should mm-hmm. um, should be able to come together on and agree on. Well, I, I have seen uh, some coalescing of spirits, which is a, a good thing. You know, they say it's always darkest before the dawn. It's pretty dark now. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it has to be very dark before people can see the light. And I do believe they're seeing it. You look at the number of homeschools, they have doubled since 2020. And uh, you look at the lines of people waiting to get into uh, private schools that are faith-based. It's amazing. And uh, so it shows you that the American people are understanding what's going on. But we can't be satisfied with just the proliferation of homeschools and faith-based organizations, we have to also address the public schools because that's where the vast majority of the kids are. And we need to address that, I think, by emphasizing school choice. When people uh, see the results, uh, I think they will automatically put pressure where it needs to be. And some people say, well, there's a lot more money available for private schools. It's not necessarily true. You take a system like Baltimore school system where you're spending almost $20,000 per student per year uh, and look at the results. You know, they did thousands of kids in grade school and high school, elementary school, and uh, not a single one was able to perform math at grade level. And uh, that's dooming people uh, to a type of lifestyle that frequently leads them into crime and other things that uh, are very undesirable. One of the things I like about ACI is its solution-oriented focus. That's one of the things we're focused on here at Stand as well. A lot of shows talk about problems, but we need to move past that into solutions. So in all of the resources you guys have online, um, what are some of the conservative-based solutions you have for education? Because this topic is one that I think has risen to like the top three issues across America that everybody's talking about. Parental rights in education, um, outcomes for education. It doesn't seem to matter how much money we give education systems, it's not translating into higher literacy rates, higher math proficiency rates, graduates, et cetera. And what would be some of the solutions you would propose? Well, we actually have a a number of white papers uh, dealing with with those uh, particular issues. But the key thing is you have to make education exciting. You have Mm -hmm. to make it. And and that's why our uh, programs are interactive. And they're done in such a way that they can be uh, utilized by parents and grandparents and other guardians, because they will learn too. Uh, you know, we have a dearth of, of knowledge in our adult population, as is manifested by those man on the street interviews when they ask people <laughs> common questions. Yeah, when was the War of 1812? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. 
<laughs> who wrote Mozart's 40th Symphony. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty bad, and uh, you know we need to to reconcentrate on that because there was a time when America was at the pinnacle right. when it comes to knowledgeable people. And uh, Alexis de Tocqueville was blown away when he came and, and studied our country and could find a mountain man who could read, right? who, who could tell him about the Declaration of Independence. Uh, that was commonplace before. And now, you know, maybe you get people who can tell you what gender pronoun they should be called by, but uh, that's not very helpful in practical sense in terms of how the successfully function in the world. That's right. Well, on this education topic, I wanted to ask you, how do you deal with insults and offense? I remember when you came to Alaska, you had an opportunity to go into one of our lowest performing schools and um, give an inspirational conversation about how you once were functionally illiterate, raised by a functionally illiterate single mom, and then became the top neurosurgeon doctor in America. And yet our superintendent of the Anchorage School District um, prohibited you from coming in and speaking to our public schools. And I thought you were treated particularly horribly. On behalf of Alaska, we apologize. But I imagine that's <laughs> not the only time you've been treated in a way that's counter to the goals you're trying to achieve, which is um, to break down divisions uh, between people who have different ideas and opinions. So I just wanted to ask, how do you handle situations like that? Well, you know, I kind of look at the big picture. Uh, you know, my uh, solace comes from my relationship with God and whether I'm doing the things that are right and pleasing in his sight. So I don't really get too wrapped up in, in what people do. You know, uh, a lot of people thought that I should be upset because uh, the Detroit Public Schools took my name off of one of the schools because I was a member of the Trump administration. Hmm. You know, I mean, th those are just silly things. And the students were upset about it. The, the, the students wanted the name to be there. But uh, the adults are so politically motivated. And if you allow their actions to impact how you feel and what you do, uh, then you've given them the victory. Hmm. And I my eyes on the prize. What is it that you're trying to do? It was the same thing when I was practicing neurosurgery. There were many cases that I got involved in where people saying, no, no, you can't do that. No, no, that's never been done. Well, nothing's ever been done until somebody does it. And, you know, you just have to take a very different tact on things and not allow them to affect you. That's really wise. Good words of wisdom. Thank you, Dr. Carson. Well, we're coming up on our break, but standouts, I want you to stay with us because in our next segment, we're going to talk about the atypical transition that this famous neurosurgeon took from practicing medicine to becoming involved in politics. I imagine that he never wanted to be a politician when he grew up, and yet there he found himself thrust onto the national political stage, even running for president of the United States. So stay with us. After this break, we'll be back with Dr. Ben Carson. Ben Carson. 